Hello again everybody, this is uh, Jason Powers, so today we're going to redo a broadcast I tried to do yesterday, and hopefully I'll do a better job. I uh, unfortunately uh, tried to upload the Substack and it didn't work out well, so um, this is the round two, so without further ado I'll let the music play out and then we'll come back to it and we got a lot of information to go through. Today we're going to discuss, well, a lot of things, but we're going to start with a few clips and then we'll dive into a couple things I've written and I will link it together because this is going to be a very, well, when I did this the first time it took me nearly an hour and a half. Maybe I can get it down to about an hour and ten minutes, but we'll see what, we'll see what happens. First, I want to play this clip from, uh, this is from uh, Jordan Peterson. He's actually interviewing uh, Matt Ridley, episode 310. So um, it'll be linked in the description. So here goes. Uh, I just want to play this and it'll start off where we're going with this. If I can get it to play. <laughs> Double click. Okay. Affected wildlife. About 15,000 of them related to bats. And most of those were viruses. So these were the viruses they'd been collecting from, mostly not from Wuhan, but from a long way away from southern China and Laos and other neighboring countries. And they'd been collecting thousands of these viruses and they'd been sequencing them and they'd been characterizing them and describing them and they had a database. And the purpose of this database, partly funded with US money, was to predict and prevent future pandemics. When, uh, in, on the 12th of September 2019, that is 
about two months before the pandemic started, as far as we can tell, at two o'clock in the morning, that database went offline. It's never come back online. Uh, we've never therefore been able to access it and look at what viruses they had in that lab. Now, when we asked them, why won't you show us that database, which after all, the purpose of which was to share with the world so that we could predict pandemics, remember, um, they say, oh, well, people might hack it. Well, that's a meaningless statement. You know, if you're going to share it, you don't need to worry about people hacking it. You know, it's a sort of circular non-argument, if you like. Um, yeah. uh, and and remember, showing us what's in that database would be the quickest way to exonerate the Wuhan Institute of Virology, because it would show. Look, they didn't have a virus resembling SARS-CoV-2 in their in their um, uh, database, and so case closed. But they. So yeah, that's a, a beginning point, and we're going to go into that further. So remember the date, September twelfth of twenty nineteen. At 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, that'll become important when I go through some other things uh, later on. But this is, uh, the, like I said, this is one of the um, data points in regards to this entire situation. I'm going to do a lot of reading, but I, I have to get myself ready to go first. So next are a couple of clips. One is totally off topic, but yet it involves China. So I'm going to play it because, well, it's interesting. It was done today, so let me just play it. This is from uh, CNN, by the way. says, you know, officials tell CNN the U.S. has not ruled out shooting down this spy balloon once it is deemed safe to do so. Does the U.S. need to bring this balloon down? I, I think the United States has to take control uh, of this balloon. Uh, there are two things that are of great concern here. One is that it's been determined to be a surveillance uh, balloon, which means that uh, it's gathering intelligence. That's the purpose of surveillance. Uh, so that's what the, the Chinese are using it for. And secondly, it's maneuverable, which means that the Chinese basically control the direction of that balloon. Uh, it's invaded our airspace. It's obviously invaded our sovereignty. I think it's very important for the United States to take control of this balloon, either to intercept it or to shoot it down. So you would say uh, shoot it down? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying uh, e either intercept it, uh, have the Chinese land it uh, so that we can take control of it, or shoot it down if that becomes the last alternative. Do you agree with uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken's decision to at least postpone his upcoming trip to China because this balloon is flying over the United States? I, I regret that he had to make that decision because I think it's important to have a dialogue with, uh, with China. But it's tough to have a dialogue with China. At the same time, there is a spying balloon, uh, a surveillance balloon, making its way across the United States. So I understand why he decided not to do it. Uh, it, it, would, it would have detracted from anything that he was trying to do in terms of negotiations. Folks, this is 1937. We're hurtling towards a kinetic war. We are hurtling towards a kinetic war. I mean a kinetic war. And this ain't Afghanistan. And it's not Iraq. And it's not Kuwait. Okay? This is big league. This is China, the CCP, and Russia. 
okay, our two allies, the Chinese people and our and the Chinese people and the Russian people were our allies in World War II, our allies. They took the brunt of it. And these people know how to take the brunt of it. And now, because of this corrupt administrative state and deep state and the incompetence and compromise of the Biden regime, we are hurtling right now to a kinetic war. And this kinetic war is going to be devastating. And if you think you can hide from it, I want the good folks in Montana that woke up today, some of the folks, oh, yeah, it's a great day in Montana. It's a crisp clear. In Montana, today, we now know, and I don't think that's all, they now know that one-third of the, I think, the ICBMs in the country are up there in the great north, in North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana. You're every bit, you're, you're, you're going to get incinerated 60 seconds before Washington, D.C. This is the danger. If every town's a border town and every state's a border state, we're all in this. When you see this loose talk in Ukraine about having a, we're going to have an unconditional surrender of the Russian army. An unconditional surrender of the Russian army. They're talking about this on Morning Joe, an unconditional, a battlefield defeat in Ukraine, an unconditional surrender. Have you seen that Ukrainian army? You think that's going to do it? They're talking about an unconditional surrender of the Russian army, a defeat, a battlefield defeat that lead to their unconditional surrender. Like the Nazis and Japanese, we dropped two nuclear weapons on the Japs. Unconditional surrender. And this is what they're talking about. This is what they're talking about. And they're having this conversation. Ask, ask how that worked for the Swedes on what, Charles XII? Ask, ask how it worked for the French with Bonaparte. Ask how it worked the Nazis. How that worked out with Hitler? This is what they're talking These are parts of the conversation that are going on today on the freaking TV. So that was uh, Stephen Bannon there, for those who don't know. So what is this all, why they kind of connect together? So the previous example was Leon Panetta, who is a CIA director and uh, defense secretary and uh, top-end muckety-muck. And, of course, today that's what, what happened. You notice that Biden wasn't mentioned in that conversation. They talked about Tony Blinken. They talked about, you know going over and visiting and all that kind of stuff. So, whatever. Uh, the balloon got downed when it got over water uh, after it traipsed across the entire United States, or basically traipsed across uh, from Montana all the way over to, was it South Carolina or North Carolina? I, I didn't... I've read some of the stories, but whatever. It was splashed down outside the... in the water. Um... I didn't want to focus on that too much, but it's just uh, it's the backdrop for a lot of things that are going on, and but so I wanted to uh, go back actually uh, to actually a, a bigger uh, point of view on this whole situation, and this is regarding uh, the the virus and it's actually involving 2019 and some of the things that are going on or just went on. So. Um, one of the things Biden has done in uh, his uh, odd time in office was he established a new ARPA-H director, which is a Advanced Research Project uh, Agency uh, for Health. And he appointed a director named uh, Renee Wegerson. And it just so happens that in uh, September of 2019, she was uh, doing a conference where she was with DARPA, and she happened to be there with... Um, a Duke University professor. Let me uh, go back to your. I, I think his name is Gershak uh, Gers Gersal. I got the links in the description. He, he's um, let's just say he's not you know the biggest uh, biggest fish in the sea, but 
he was working on CRISPR-Cas9 and they were at a conference uh, for uh, modifying the genome. And this was carried on about two weeks after the the, uh, the Chinese had uh, offline their database. And the only reason why it's important is because uh, not only was she, uh, at her uh, situation, so uh, the name of the the little sub, uh, it was Engineering the Genome. And the co-chairs were Renee Wegerson of DARPA and Charles uh, Gershbach of Duke University. And in the, the subsection, uh, there was a, a guy named Patrick Boyle who worked for Ginkgo Bioworks. Well, that became uh, Renee's future employer. And they did this in September. This was late. This is uh, September 25th through the 27th. They had like a three-day conference. Uh, this was a, a two, or they call it a two-and-a-half-day session. But uh, and this was held in uh, um, actually the it was hosted by Boeing in North Charleston, South Carolina. So that just gives you an idea of where this was happening. Um, and of course, it involved. Uh, I mean. One of the things I found out, I mean, Gershbach is uh, at Duke University. Well, one of the bigger players in this uh, situation is Research Triangle Park, and we'll we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, so, so I wrote this back in October of 2022. This guy called it the Labyrinth Connects to the New Arp H Director. So I'm going to read a few parts of this because it's uh, it's uh, it actually. I fill in some of the information. So, Renee's rise as Biden's ARPA-H director formed by a September 12, 2022 executive order regarding bioengineering and the bioeconomy is not by mere accident. The whole government approach desired likely came out of Wegerson's four-plus-year stint at DARPA and her obsession with CRISPR-Cas9 technologies. However, there is a larger story to be explored here. Three weeks prior to the issuance of this far-reaching executive order, Renee's company, Ginkgo Bioworks, acquired an epidemiological database from Batkus Incorporated. Batkus is a front company formed in California in August of 2021 to house Metabiota. Metabiota was founded by renowned virologist Nathan Wolf. Wolf and his partner Michael uh, Kurtzix filed a $7.5 million equity offering on September 30th of 2021, Bacchus then sold its Metabiota subunit to Ginkgo Bioworks for $9.1 million, according to recent SEC filings. Wolf was named in 2011 to Times Magazine's 100 Most Influential Persons of the Year. They garnered a $30 million. Uh, they garnered $30 million in Series A funding to Metabiota through Hunter Biden's firm, Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners. In, then in 2015, Fierce Biotech article noted Wolf's desire for an epidemic insurance uh, in some detail. So, you know, what's I'm going to go on further here. In Wolf's highly praised book, Viral Storm, Wolf noted that both Jeffrey Epstein and Boris Nikolic were influential. Dr. Nikolic was a chief science advisor for Bill Gates for a decade and a board director at Schrodinger. Schrodinger garnered a Series B investment by Gates, topping $50 million. And I, I could go further in, into this part of it, but what I want to get to here, so Metabiota, amongst other things, Hunter Biden's firm uh, directly funded it uh, back in 2014. 
but they were actually involved in kicking the tires on this right around the end of 2013 uh, through emails that I've uh, uh, found and discovered. And they were also uh, funding this in regards to um, their grants that they had just received from the Department of Defense. So we'll go further down. Uh, this article is very long. I, I uh, How I would order it now. So, so Ginkgo Bioworks acquired Metabiota's CEO, Nita Madhaf, in this August 2022 two-person deal. The deal impacts Concentric by Ginkgo, where Renee Wegerson was their VP of Business Development on K-12 testing that just landed a 15 to $61 million contract with the CDC. That government contract started on August 16th of 2022. This is just three days before Nita Madhaf was traded to Ginkgo's concentric division as Renee moved into the Biden administration as its chief biotechnologist on September 12th, 2022. Her agency has a billion-dollar-plus budget at its outset. And Metabiota has intriguing, long-standing ties to Ukraine. Dr. Mary Gutierrez, Chief Science Officer, emailed directly Hunter Biden on April 4th of 2014, stating that, I prepared the attached memo, which provides an overview of Metabiota, our engagement in Ukraine, and how we can potentially leverage our team, networks, and concepts to assert Ukraine's cultural and economic independence from Russia and continued integration into Western society. Metabiota, with its government focus, signed a strategic agreement with NQTEL, a CIA-funded technology startup, according to former CIA Director George Tenet. Dr. Gutierrez moved on to Labyrinth Global Health, that subcontracted with Black & Veatch. Black & Veatch is a top U.S. government contract in in engineering outfit. Labyrinth Global received nearly $420,000 regarding a subaward 19-6192 for work in Ukraine on November 12, 2019. The contract was for subject matter expert manuscript and COVID-19 research. So that was in November November 12, 2019. Now to back up here for a second, and this is kind of off the beaten path, but um, everybody's heard of Event 201. Well, Event 201 was sponsored by Open Philanthropy. Open Philanthropy sponsored it with $20 million. They made the grant in September of 2019. Now, who is Open Philanthropy? Open Philanthropy is run by or was founded by Dustin Moskowitz. Well, Dustin Moskowitz is also uh, a heavy funder of Sam Bankman Fried's uh, Moms um, Mind the Gap uh, Political Action Committee. So there is some overlap. And it just so happens that Metabiota is located in in uh, San Francisco, as well as we know Stanford's located nearby. Um, Wells Fargo, which is where Hunter does his banking, is located in San Francisco, at least within a stone's throw of Metabiota. There's a Chinese bank there, uh, Shanghai Bank. Um, what else is there? There is a there is a geographic uh, coordination there in um southern well basically california not southern california but uh around san francisco and the bay area so we'll continue on here 
So, where can we start next? Okay. Nathan Wolf and Nita Madhaf are familiar as well with Peter Daszak, P- uh, president of EcoHealth Alliance. Wolf co-published an emerging infectious disease paper with Peter Daszak back in 2005. Eco and Metabiota were co-publishing papers in the mid-2010s as well and received U.S. government contracts totaling $244 million combined since 2008. In February 2018, Wolf co-authored a paper with Dr. George Gao, the director of the Chinese CDC, and Peter Daszak, and they published this in Science. Dr. George Gao, in late March 2020, was eager to spread terrible techniques regarding social distancing and masking to all Western populations. This was promoted by John Cohen, who wrote a substantial science piece in January 2020, promoting the wet market hypothesis of SARS-CoV-2. These are separate articles, but um, so did uh, uh, Cohen was obviously, uh, this was a separate article, but he uh, supported Gao in that particular article that he wrote. So, anyway, the wet market hypothesis of uh, SARS-CoV-2. Eco's Peter Daszak and Wuhan Institute virologist uh, Shiji Li are cited with Daszak saying, Every time there's an emergent disease, a new virus, the same story comes out. Is this a spillover or a release of an agent of a bioengineered virus? It's just a shame. It seems humans can't resist controversy in these myths. Well, (laughs) as as it turns out, uh, given... uh, uh, So if we go back real quick to this episode here with... uh, um, uh, Matt Ridley. He wrote a, or he co-wrote a book with uh, Elena Chan, who's our, uh, our, I think that's her name, Elena. Our last name is Chan. I could go back to the episode. We're going to play something else from that episode here in a second. But uh, the point is, is uh, yeah, um, this is. I'm not the only one, and there's many others who've latched onto this. But we're going to go further into this. So I need to, I want to focus this on Renee so that you understand uh, how that goes. But there is a lot of extra background that I could go into, but we're going to go to Renee first. Renee's ginkgo and DARPA background connects to other players in the COVID-19 drama. Moderna was a key customer for ginkgo. Yeah, they got $25 million from them in April of 2020 for process optimization. Uh, regarding the mRNA-1217 gene therapy modification vaccine. However, Renee, though, was not at Ginkgo at that time. And I'm just, some of this I'm trying to um, truncate as I go. Her attendance at a September 2019 engineering symposium, as I just mentioned, where, uh, where Ginkgo gave a presentation likely fostered up the relationship that became employment with Ginkgo in August of 2020. Ginkgo has long been connected to DARPA uh, through its early earlier years, and uh, actually uh, DARPA, as it turns out. So there's a Moderna SEC filing that was done on September 12th, the same day as the Chinese uh, database went offline, uh, regarding uh, they had a phase one trial of a different uh, virus. I'm gonna, or I gotta go to the actual study here, so I'm not just. Uh, I'm winging it a little bit, but I have to open up a tab here and we'll see how quickly it loads up, hopefully. So, 
the point being here is that uh, there's a lot of dots connecting back to certain dates and certain timing, time frames. Uh, the same people are popping up in certain areas that would uh, uh, reflect that uh, uh, popping up. And I'm trying to connect them all back. So you have dates, you have money, you have people, you know. And when I say conspiracy, I mean people... People say, well, I mean, when the same people pop up over and over again, uh, Renee is just one part of this aspect because of her expertise and ties to DARPA. And she's tied to the same office, the BTO office, which is the biological and uh, technology office of uh, DARPA. So it's like a subunit. There's like six subunits there um, for various projects that DARPA is uh, involved in. It's taking a sweet old time, so we'll we'll continue on here. So, <clears throat> so uh, and also in 2018 on DARPA TV's YouTube channel, Renee mentioned her work with IARPA, Intel, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So she had, uh, you know, uh, she has a cozy relationship with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And she mentioned that directly, yeah. and we'll continue further. Renee is closely aligned to Dr. Jennifer Dudna's CRISPR work through through DARPA, as shown in an obtained July 2017 email. Dudna was cited in a September 2022 Nature article announcing Renee's elevation to the new ARPH uh, directorship. So she was specifically cited uh, alongside of you know those two linked up together in a Nature article. Um, like I said. Um, and Joe uh, Allen had uh, provided a DARPA clip from uh, January of 2019. As it turns out, Hunter Biden also knows people at DARPA. His left-behind laptop emails show a direct and personal connection that worked with uh, with Dr. Renee Wegerson. Uh, yeah, her name is uh, Susan. I won't well, uh, mention her last name. But uh, yes, she... Uh, Susan knew Hunter Biden and specifically knew um, his d- daughter. They, it's a sports uh, connection. Uh, I think Hunter's daughter Maisie uh, might have been done with field hockey or basket. I think it was a basketball. So anyway, this uh, this uh, lady who works for DARPA, literally her, you know, she emailed from her DARPA account regarding um, you know their connection. So the Bidens. And this was in 2014. Uh, actually, I could probably pull up the email and, but, uh, and see if it'll pull up quickly here. So, yeah, it was regarding Maisie. Um, so, she uh, she wrote, wrote directly to uh, Kathleen and Hunter. And, of course, uh, yeah, this was, May, this was actually a month after uh, Hunter Biden was receiving letters from Metabiota. So, this was in May of 2014. So the fact that she responded back directly uh, regarding, you know, that means they're at least friendly. Uh, it's not just a, there were a lot of people in the DARPA field actually emailing Hunter Biden in 2014, but it was tied to, oh, they were a part of some activity club of some sort. Uh, I think it, they were going to Washington National Games and stuff like that. It's n- nothing relevant, but the fact that this uh, particular a gal uh, actually, uh, knows, she knows Renee Wegerson through the fact that she actually produced a 
project paper um, in regards to this uh, situation. Um, I included a link to the email that was left behind. Um, it's actually tied to the the website is called genedrivesfiles.synthbiowatch.org and uh, John Godwin was involved in this and Dr. John Godwin works for in NC State and if I go back and look at the names here so they're talking about uh, 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 you know they're they're having a, this long conversation but in regards to uh, what was written or who it was sent to it was sent to a great many people involved in this situation but Directly from Renee Wegerson, this was on Monday, July 17th of 2017. The subject is Embargo Copy, DARPA Safe Genes Press. And that was one of her big projects, Safe Genes. And so she sends it to the who's who of, uh, um, when I say who's who, the who's who of uh, genetic modification and CRISPR technology. So uh, Keith uh, Jung of Harvard, Jennifer Dudna, um, Let's see who else. George Church is mentioned. Omar S. Akabari. Uh, Amit uh, Chidar. Uh, Amit. I can't think of his name. Uh, the last name is uh, Chidari at the Broad Institute. A lot of people at the Broad Institute, MIT. Melanie R. Levitt. Um, let's see who else. Um, just a host of people. But she also mails it to a, a gal worse in the Navy. Um, uh, Richard Weiss who works at DARPA uh, let's see who else Ann Cheever who works at DARPA, at DARPA. and of course uh, uh, the Susan uh, uh, gal that I'll leave the late name off but the point is is uh, she writes this and then she writes a little whole uh, ex, you know a nice little she's a program manager for the biological technologies office and then she's got her contact information and that kind of stuff and john godwin is in, involved in this and it's important because um like anything else um it reflects the connections to people who are very important to this um so eventually this led to a paper being published in new zealand but don uh dr john godwin john godwin and dr ralph barris attended at least two conferences held in North Carolina. And why is Ralph Barris important? Well, he's he's probably the grandfather of uh, gain of function and uh, dealing with coronaviruses. So this was a 2014 evolution conference they attended where Godwin in the panel's topic was investigating molecular basis of female to male sex change in fish. And Barrick discussed coronaviruses in mirrors. So... Going back to the BTO office, which Renee Wegerson was attached to, uh, let's see, in uh, March of 2018, a project from Dazik's Eco Health Alliance regarding China's located diffuse project. That's what happened. The project discussed the aerosolization of virus with gain of function manipulations to be headed up by Ralph Barrick and Dr. Shiji Li, among others, to provide their expertise. The project was rejected by DARPA's BTO division. However, uh, Dr. Fauci did not reject this proposal, and it was stated that two of the three DARPA reviewers marked it as selectable. And Project Veritas did a video on this, and I've, uh, um, as far as the the situation regarding it, it was released in 
And uh, just to uh, follow up on that, Matt uh, Ridley actually talked about this, and I'll let I'll see if I can uh, uh, toggle back to that, and we can we'll let that let him uh, fill you in, and then it's not just coming from me. So, Won't uh, show us that document, and that for me is a. Ve- You're just gonna have to pray. Hold on a second here. Discover new ways to laugh, be inspired, or be entertained. New members. Okay. I'll let, wait until it gets to the queued up. There's about a five minute apart here, real quickly. But uh, Jordan Peterson's uh, uh, pushing out Audible, <laughs> which I probably should work on, but I don't have yet. But we'll get to that in just a moment. Well, um, uh, there was an exchange of emails among these scientists in which um, some of them said uh, it's important that we uh, don't damage international harmony. That was the phrase used by Mm -hmm. Francis Collins, Mm -hmm. the head of the NIH, in these emails. And another one says we mustn't damage the reputation of science and of Chinese science in particular. Now, at the same time, Another letter was. You mean by by, by pointing? You mean by pointing out that something unbelievably and god awfully and unforgivably dangerous had actually happened? That was how we were going to exactly. damage the reputation, so to speak, by by just admitting that something catastrophic had happened, and so it was reputation well, management. Clearly, yes, uh, but clearly, uh, you know, if you uh, there is a risk that the world rushes off and comes to the conclusion it came out of a lab and this damages biotechnology and it's not true it might have right come, right yes. uh, in a natural way and then we've done and then we've done unnecessary damage to science which is a great pity and i you know i'm a big fan of biotechnology i i would think that was a problem so right, that is right. one risk but the other risk is that we uh, are so worried about re- doing damage to the reputation of science that we overlook the possibility that this thing did start in the laboratory um Uh, Now, at the same time, also in February 2020, the closest collaborator of the Wuhan lab in the West, a man named Peter Daszak, who runs an organization called the EcoHealth Alliance, which had funneled millions of dollars from U.S. taxpayers to this research in Wuhan over the years. He was preparing a a letter for The Lancet, which he got 27 scientists to sign, uh, saying it, it was... It couldn't possibly have come from a lab, and we've got to shut down that possibility. Um, He didn't uh, uh, reveal his role in orchestrating that. He was just one of the signatures. He didn't uh, note his conflict of interest in that letter, the fact that he was a very close collaborator and friend of the Wuhan lab. It took 18 months before The Lancet published a a statement of conflict of interest under pressure on that. Mm. But more important than any of that, the one crucial thing that Peter Daszak didn't reveal and that we didn't find out until September 2021 was that he had put in an application to the uh, Pentagon, to the DARPA, the um, Mm. uh, research arm of the Pentagon, in 2018, in collaboration with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, among others, to do experiments on SARS-like viruses that they found in bats. And those experiments were to include, if they found ones that weren't very similar to SARS-1, that were new, were to include putting a furin cleavage site into such a virus. Now, that is a major discovery. 
And as I say, we found that out from a leaked document. It's called the Project Defuse. It came to light in September 2021 because someone in DARPA, I think, leaked it to um, uh, people who were investigating this. And Peter Daszak hadn't bothered to tell us that he was the lead in investigator on exactly this proposal. Now, you know, for me as a, as a citizen of the planet Earth... That's pretty annoying. As a, <laughs> as a scientist and, and a writer about science, um, it's even more annoying uh, because, you know, we all want to know what happened here. You know, I don't go into this wanting it to be a lab leak. I just want to know the truth. And it seems absolutely vital to get us as much information as we can. Now, oh, yes. Let's get all the information that we can, hopefully. Oh. I'm having issues with this thing stopping and starting on me. Hopefully it's catching up and doing what it needs to do. Uh, so um, going back to the article I've written, and I'll uh, actually I'll probably uh, close out of this particular uh, thing until I uh, upload. Because resources for, for whatever reason, because I have too much stuff up. So anyway, going back to this, so... As I mentioned, the DARPA, it just so happens to be the exact same office, the BTO office, that was the one who ratted out uh, Peter Daszak. Uh, it gets more interesting from there, too, because of the way. So this uh, project was actually tied, um, like I said, back to a March 2018. So you see the timeline a little bit building here in terms of how soon and how how they were working on this. So we're going to go to Moderna, because I mentioned that before, and Moderna has a lot of, uh, and we're going to also hear from Dr. Barrick. So 18 months later, this was Dr. Barrick obtained on December 12th, 2019. So now, you know, it's December 12th, <laughs> and I mentioned November 12th with uh, Metabiota in uh, uh in Ukraine, or regard or Labyrinth Health, I'm sorry, uh, they had worked with something, and it, they actually it's actually listed as COVID-19, and then of course September 12th of 2019. So anyway, so they released a material uh, uh, release of material for coronaviruses to challenge animals for mRNA vaccination from a Moderna NAIAD partnership, and this is all documented. Um, there's a NIH Moderna confidentiality agreement. This, so they had a royalty structure as well. The material transfer agreement, the MTA, was made by the NIAID and Moderna four years earlier on November 9th, 2015. The NIAID patented this cooperative material release, which is called a CRADA, in a September 25th filing. So they created something, they patented it, and uh, then they released it to Moderna. This was uh, just two months after that, but this is in 2015. Just keep your dates straight. The NIAID patent was titled Recombinant HIV-1 Envelope Proteins and Their Use. So that's the name of the patent. And there's a picture I provided in this article that you can read. And in particular... Um, there's uh, there's uh, features uh, called the GP120 with glycans and GP41. 
and this is located inside the HIV um, envelope proteins that they're talking about. So, the NIAID Principal Direct Deputy Director Hugh Auchincloss Jr. signed off on this CRADA on April or on August fifteenth of twenty sixteen. So, and it was repeatedly renewed after that up until uh, the twenty nineteen uh, release to Dr. Barrick. So, on February first, twenty twenty, Tony Fauci emailed Hugh with the subject. So. Dr. Auchincloss, subject, important, and attach a Barris SARS gain-of-function study, PDF, published from the mid-2010s, uh, one assumes here. And I say assumes here because I've seen a, there's a, a example of uh, other files as well, but uh, regarding Barris, uh, and he mentions the gain-of-function, and, and this is a 2015 file. So Moderna, just under two months after the MTA, so this was just so when I talk about dates again, November 9th of 2015. So Moderna just under two months after the MTA received a $20 million grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in January of 2016, which noted the grant would quote develop a novel platform technologies for antibodies or vaccines to reduce HIV acquisition in developing countries. That's the name of the grant. The NIAID and Moderna noted in an abstract of research plan noted in their abstract of research plan was will collaborate to develop vaccine candidates for human immunodeficiency virus type 1 HIV1 based on antigens developed by the NIAID and using Moderna's proprietary mRNA vaccine technology. So they're working together to attach HIV-1 with the mRNA vaccine. We're going to continue. Moderna filed their own patent, 9587003, on February 4th of 2016. The patent included an exact 19-string nucleotide sequence that included a non-naturally occurring double CCG. And what does that have to do with anything? So the CCG, this is tied to genetics uh, for those who are uh, much more inclined to understand that, but we'll get into that. This was discovered using BLAST, which is a biological search engine for amino acids and nucleotides of DNA or in RNA sequences. This was published in Frontiers in Virology, so I have a link to the paper. Nicholas Wade, a longtime writer for Science, Nature, and the New York Times, discussed this unusual nucleotide insert in a May 5, 2021 Bulletin of Atomic Scientists article. Wade, in detail, noted the unusual behaviors of, by Peter Dozik and is organizing the February 19th Lancet paper that was just discussed by um, Matt Ridley that dismissed any talk of the lab leak while pursuing only a nature-based origin. Wade was highly critical of the work of Dozik, Shi, and Barrick and noted this double CCG sequence oddity in great detail. So this was prior to even this Frontiers and Virology paper. And this isn't the, the these two aren't the only people that have noticed it. Uh, there was a uh, lady, oh, um, I have to go back. This was in uh, 2020, actually, that I first ran across this. Um, it was regarding that they, they, it was noticed immediately. 
Um, this has been noticed by numerous people, not just, and we'll, I can continue on. So let me do that first. So on August 5th of uh, 2020, Ralph Barrick and Moderna's co-patent holder, uh, Seda M. El-Bashir, produced a timeline that is refutable. And like I said, I mentioned the Ukrainian COVID studies in November 2019, Barrick's acquiring an access to the NIAID patented sequence from 2015. And then additionally, Sunny Himanshu, who co-authored this Nature paper, is listed in the MTA CRADA agreement signed in November 2015 by Moderna's legal team. So this paper was written by two people who are specifically highlighted and summarized in that M- in this uh, NIA, in other words, involves people from Moderna, involves people from uh, North Carolina, Dr. Ralph Barrick, and the Sunny Humanchu works from Moderna, and they're all listed in this nature. They're working in this nature paper. Now, what does that mean? Well, the the timeline they produced uh, lays out. You know, not only does it lay out that they they didn't receive the they didn't receive the what you call it the Oh, the sequences from the the Chinese until much later. Let me get to the timeline here. It's on a different article here. So they say, um, so <laughs> the timeline that they provided for SARS-CoV-2 pandemic is December 31st of 2019. First report of respiratory virus outbreak in China. So the first, the first, they say the first report was that. That's actually, that's a total lie too, because there was reports going back as early as the military games in October and certainly into November because, uh, yeah. So it didn't, it, uh, that that's wrong. So January 10th of 2020, uh, COVID, uh, it says 2019 NCOV sequences published. So they say that they, they've received the sequences January 10th, which we, we have a high... It's highly suspicious considering Ralph Barrick received something that uh, is tied to this particular virus prior to that. But anyway, we'll just move on from that point. January 13th of 2020, VRC and Moderna decide on mRNA-1273 sequence. So they're saying that they created this uh, this um, uh, uh, sequence on uh, January 13th, which, oh, by the way, was the day before the WHO decided. It says... So Moderna initiates G- GMP production on January 14th of 2020, which is the exact same day that the World Health Organization said that there was no human-to-human transmission uh, in a tweet, <laughs> a fa- an infamous tweet. They said there was, no infam- there was no human-to-human transmission of this virus, and yet they're already producing this vaccine. Supposedly, push- they're already saying that they, they just got, got the sequences and they're going to make a production on it. So it says uh, in February uh, February second of twenty twenty, Moderna validates in vitro expression of the mRNA twelve seventy three, and on February fourth of twenty twenty, Moderna vials the mRNA twelve seventy three clinical drug product. So they're just saying within a month, a brand new virus. They suddenly have it all sequenced. They already got a vaccine, and they they vaccinated mice that day too. They're saying that they did this, and then two weeks later, immunogenicity, uh, uh, I can't even say the word, confirmed in my, in other words, 
they they say they they provided immunity. So they did a phase one animal trial. They're they're saying right there, and then they the very next day they published a spike structure published in Science on the the nineteenth. So that's a truncated version, but I want to give you some dates there. So as it turns out, the HHS provided immunity. They back backdated the immunity. There was a letter released in March of 2020 that they backdated their immunity directly back to this February 4th date because Moderna, that's when they reported in the SEC filing that they were working on their mRNA-1273, which is quite interesting because this is long prior to anybody being panicked about the virus. Like I said, the WHO said, no, human, human. So, of course, we know the WHO is run and owned by the Chinese Communist Party. Just saying. I mean, that's that's kind of interesting that that happens to go there. So, as it turns out, let me go back to my other article here. So, there's the timeline. So, as it turns out, the HIV sequence appeared in a blast search for the spike protein that is contained in SARS-CoV-2. So... Moderna's patenting of a non-natural sequence undermines the thrust of Dr. Barrick's paper timeline, if not their science. So, now I'm going to go to this, and hopefully I can get this to load up, but it might take a bit here. I'll let it do what it needs to do here. Hopefully, I don't know, it's kind of finicky that way. Uh, so... It might take a take a wee bit. It may not even load up. Uh, it's connecting to Twitter. So while it's doing that, um, so let's get back to the next part of this. Moreover, a top microbiologist, Christian Anderson, wrote directly to Tony Fauci. The virus appeared engineered on January 31st of 2020. That's according to the FOIA documents that we found. Um, it's taking a second here. If I can get it, this is from the the seeker. Uh, there's a thread here. Um, yeah, let me let it load up here. It might take a moment. Okay, hold on a second. I'll let it kind of first get the volume up here. And my Twitter accounts can <laughs> right now has been finicky because I don't have it because I'm suspended. Uh, let me roll this back and hopefully it'll play. Okay, I gotta hold on a second here. See if it'll actually load up in time. It's thinking about it. So, Dr. Barrick, uh, what he does is he says there's three or four different ways for a virus. He says there's three or four approaches to manipulate and edit a virus without anybody knowing the difference. So, and when I say uh, he... It can be done. He, in other words, he's saying he knows the techniques to make it so that no one would know the difference. So after the uh, this is, and uh, Anderson was quoted in a the John Cohen Science article on Saturday, February first. Fauci received an email from Welcome Trust Jeremy Farrar teleconferencing to hope it will help frame discussions. So they were setting up a secret conference between a number of people. And Peter, uh, just just to be clear, Peter Dozik wasn't uh, listed on the listed in particular in this uh, conference, but yet uh, the number of people that were involved in this conference just so happened to involve a lot of the people that were connected to the paper that Peter Dozik was uh, uh, later attached to. So it wasn't by uh, it wasn't 
just random. It was actually, you know, people who were uh, doing this. Uh, it's going to be difficult. I don't have a lot of control over Twitter. So we'll, uh, let's see, we'll carry on here. So uh, what, what, what you could, um, What's important here is, is, of course, there was a paper on January 31st of 2020 that was released, and it, the paper was titled Uncanny Similarity of Unique Inserts in COVID uh, in uh, 2019 NCOV Spike Protein to HIV-1 GP120 um, and GAG, or GAG. So GP120, that happens to be tied to the HIV-1 that I was talking about before. And this paper was published out of India. Um, uh, there's several officers, it's, uh, officers, uh, several um, doctors. It's uh, Prashant Prahan, P-R-A-D-H-A-N, published this, and they have, and I have the links to it's uh, medicalveritas.org, and they're, they uploaded the paper. And they noted uh, four inserts in particular. And uh, another uh, uh, scientist or a person who, who knows this stuff better than I do, of course, uh, has, a, I leave a link to the discussion of it. So next up is Dazik, of course, again. But tellingly as well, Dazik stated it was, quote, easy to manipulate coronaviruses in a lab. And he noted uh, Ralph Barrick, no less, at a Singapore December 9th and 10th, 2019 conference. So this was just three days prior to Barrick actually getting a release of the of the NIAID and uh, Moderna. Um, he was going to do a testing. So he was testing prior to this of uh, the CRADA that was related to the sequence that went into the Moderna patent. So he, he actually started the, the testing and the discussion we assume this is an assumption. I can't verify it because I obviously didn't see him do it. But the fact that he had the inform had the um, the release of this particular Moderna patent or Moderna um, NIAID um, um, agreement to him, and it was attached to a HIV one uh, that actually winds up in the a Moderna patent. Uh, confidence can be high but you know I wasn't there so who knows um, a conference where Dr. Gigi Lee was in attendance um, this was uh, uh, pointed out by uh, somebitchtoldme.com and she, she writes a lot about a lot of different uh, scenarios that have gone on so this conference was sponsored by the NIAID CEPI and WHO all are uh, strongly attached to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, but it gets it gets even deeper. So uh, uh, Peter Dazik has directly emailed Ralph Barrick, so they they're well aware of each other. Um, and uh, Peter Dazik they emailed this on uh, May sixth of twenty twenty. Here's what I said. Uh, he says, "Here's what I said to the Washington Post reporter. Hope that it works." If he asks you about gain of function, GOF, that's what he, but that's what he means, gain of function. I strongly recommend you just come back with the, the comments. Well, that's already been debated extensively and decided on by the NIH. Their origin of COVID, uh, 
COVID-19 doesn't have anything to do with this because a NASEM, which is a NASEM committee paper, which is stands for the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, and that will become key later, and a paper in Nature Medicine clearly showed the virus has a natural origin, no evidence of manipulation. And he says, quote, I practice lines like that and ways to get, get it back on the real issue of either the importance of remdesivir or the massive inter, uh, interface in rural China. So that's what he goes down the road. So notice he mentions remdesivir. As it turns out, there was a study that was uh, lauded or promoted by Dr. Fauci and Dr. Lindsay Baden and Dr. Eric Rubin. Um, the latter two are of the New England Journal of Medicine. But the funny thing is, is uh, uh, these uh, these particular folks uh, were promoting this. Yet, if we go into a email that was sent to uh, Dr. Fauci by Dr. Zeke Emanuel, and for those who don't remember him, he used to work for the Obama administration. He was a health czar, and he happens to be the brother of Rahm Emanuel thought that the remdesivir published data was weak. He and Zeke works at, I think he works at the Pennsylvania, University of Pennsylvania. So he he specifically cited in an email that he thought this uh, was rather weak. Uh, and, and as I wrote, as I write, uh, this fact neither deterred Fauci nor Dr. Baden as later published in support of remdesivir while being the deputy editor of the New England Journal of Medicine and chairing the key FDA drug appro- approval committee. Uh, Botten is, is uh, Fauci's inside guy who can push things along, and I provide links to it. And Ruben and Botten are, were uh, very, uh, very uh, closely aligned with Fauci. Uh, they did a podcast actually in May of 2020 regarding the remdesivir trial and actually published uh, later uh, published later on remdesivir. The trial, as I looked at it, does not provide the evidence of uh, support, just like uh, Dr. Zeke Emanuel, who he was the one who said, if you actually look at the data on the, on the trial itself, you'll find that that's uh, uh, fairly, I think it's fairly obvious. Uh, there are several... Uh, when you measure it against a uh, placebo, uh, there was no benefit uh, offered regarding remdesivir, and so they should have never used it, but that didn't stop these people. So, okay, we'll go back up. Um, Let me continue on and see if I can actually pull this up and see if uh, I get luckier. Let's see. It might take a moment. Uh, it's not being, it's not going to cooperate. Uh, so you're going to have to listen to it yourself, but it won't, it won't, uh, kick over for me. Now here's the, here's a very interesting part of this. So Peter Dozik, uh, I'll just read it, what I wrote. Not to be deterred at all by any of this, Peter Dozik co-chaired a vaccine hesitancy paper that included the concept of forced vaccination, forced vaccination. Dr. Julie Pavlin of the National Academies of, uh, I guess that's Science, Engineering, and Medicine, wrote to Dr. Tony Fauci on February 27th of 2020. So this was just a handful of days, I think it's nine days after 
uh, or eight days after the paper that uh, The Lancet published to organize a working paper. This was conference in August of 2020, and the paper was officially published in June of 2021. Um, let's see. So, and then with, uh, this is a later edit that I found, and I found, uh, so within an hour of Pavlin's email, Mark Zuckerberg emailed Dr. Fauci asking about assistance on vaccines. And it kind of correlates it. You know, he had the core, uh, let's just, it may have been by luck, but the the interesting thing from my from my standpoint is Fauci. If you go through his FOIAs, you'll see a lot of uh, a lot of times he would just and uh, hand off the situation to one of his uh, underlings, and he would say, "Handle this," or you know, respond, or you know, just whatever. But this one, he responded personally to Zuckerberg, obviously, and he give he writes. <laughs> For him, a, a short novel compared to what he normally writes to just about anybody, including his friends like uh, Lindsey Bodden. He said, Mark, thanks for the note. If we start in April, six to seven weeks from now, with a phase one trial of 45 subject, it will take another three to four months to determine safety and some uh, immunogenesis. Uh, the next step is phase two for efficacy. We may need help with resources for the phase two trial if we do not get our requested budget supplement, which was obviously going to come through. These people always complain about money. It's never about money. They always have hoards and stores of money from all kinds of sources. I, uh, uh, You'll read that all the time. These people constantly complain about they don't get enough money and they, uh, what are they using the money for is the bigger question. It's usually... I, I, I we won't go into that, but I don't believe that. <laughs> They're not using it for the things that you think they are. It says, if this goes off track, I will contact you. Many thanks for the offer. Much appreciated. Best regards. So, I mean, there's three three phrases in, in a row where he's like, you know, you know, basically sucking up to <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg. And, of course, we know the the, the connection between uh, the Fauci's and the CDC and the Facebook and Meta. Um, there's a there's a whole other story there. So let's uh, go back here. So Dr. Eva Harris, she's a director at the Cal Berkeley, where Dr. Jennifer Dudna is tenured and is a work colleague, is listed as a top participant in this vaccine push, this vaccine paper that I mentioned. Uh, not only that, law professor Dort R. Reese provided the legal framework that is that this conference likely sought to enforce through the new Biden administration, which they did. Uh, the idea was to force vaccination on, on kids and use coercion tactics, and they mentioned specifically coercion and use of force. It's in Chapter 5 of the paper, and you can uh, go to the paper itself and, and get into that. So the conference included many names listed initially in the Pavlin to Fauci email, but additionally, Dr. Rick Bright came on board, and Dr. Rick Bright uh, was the head of BARDA at that time and was responsible for a letter regarding uh, hydroxychloroquine. So Bright, at Gin Bright appeared at a Ginkgo's Bioworks conference in late 2021. Bright also appeared at a Michael Milken or Milken Institute conference in the fall of 2019 i want to say it was november it may have been december i don't have the exact date but uh 
Bright was there and they were kicking around the idea how much easier it would be if uh, uh, some of the uh, red tape or certain things were pushed out of the way. Uh, they, 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 they are, uh, well, of course they want to, they're using health to push this one health agenda that many have found, uh, is out there and it overlaps with military and, uh, and all the agencies. And when I say all the agencies, any agencies is beneficial. And if you want to find the real money shot there, um, September 19th of 2019, um, Trump signed an executive order, which included 10 major agencies tied to vaccine production and, you know, public-private partnerships. And the agencies that were listed, every one of them uh, despises him (laughs) or despised him, including the FDA, the CDC, DHS, yeah, Department of Homeland Security was involved, the DOJ, the DOD. Um, these were the major agencies that were all uh, tied together. And I have a feeling that that executive order gave these uh, gave the impetus that these uh, particular actors were working through and were well, well aware of when they got this executive order. Now, what did they know and when did they know it? Well, until you get an investigation and talk to these people, it's anyone's guess. So, Bright has received grants with PATH, another Gates-controlled venture. What Bright Denton remind us about at the Ginkgo's conference was how his quick pivot away from his March 2020 authorization of hydroxychloroquine. Rick Bright now is the CEO of Pandemic Prevention, PPI, at the Rockefeller Foundation, and has prior associations to the Gates Foundation, which he does. So, uh, to tell you that this paper is highly uh, stressing of children, the Vaccine for Children paper, it mentions children 241 times in 231 pages. So, I would say that's a pretty high hit rate inside of a document of that length uh, that it's mentioned at least once per page uh, on average. So, I mean, that's a pretty substantial amount uh, of mentioning. Um, was published with contracts from the Department of Homeland Security, the Burroughs Welcome Fund, and New, New Venture Fund. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has provided hundreds of millions of dollars in grants to, the New, Ven- to New Venture. Just an FYI, Renee Wegerson is a member of the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, and where Dr. Julie Pavlin is the director. So there's a lot of overlap between different organizations. That's where these people meet. That's where they conference and where they discuss things. So it makes a uh, very uh, interesting uh, group of people that are all tied together. And I I don't know where I wanted to go from here. I think that's pretty much everything I can cover. Uh, the <clears throat> big uh, money shot... So Ginkgo Bioworks, Moderna, Pfizer, and Gates are all World Economic Forum players. Dr. Jennifer Dudna, Nathan Wolf, Zeke Emanuel, and Boris Nikolic are as well. So I found, um, and I have links to those particular uh, people and who are listed where. And um, so it's um, it's interesting that uh, there was a, and there's this article goes into a lot of other things. So. On the Pfizer side of this, and I, I did discuss that, um, 
first I want to get to the link that will uh, discuss that. There's a uh, Moderna. I'm going to have to go to the um, Moderna SEC filing. So the lipid nanoparticles kind of link Moderna with Pfizer um, because they use the same um, uh, people. When I say same people, they use the same sub uh, uh, Pfizer had an um, uh, uh, agreement with Acutis Therapeutics. So Acutis, uh, Acu, Acutis is a Vancouver, uh, Vancouver-based company. My, I'm running out of uh, <laughs> voice here, and is currently working with several high-profile international partners. This is directly from their um, CEO. Providing its delivery technology, the lipid nanoparticles, to enable new drugs based upon nucleotide nucleotide acid therapeutics. Uh, the par- these partners include BioNTech, which is part- partners with Pfizer, CureVac, and Imperial College of London. And then where Acutis uh, delivers technology is required to develop effective men- messenger RNA vaccines for COVID-19. So they released this document, and CureVac, it just so happens, is also connected to Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, CEPI, and CRISPR Therapeutics, as in CRISPR-Cas9. So and just so happens that CureVac actually emailed, or the CEO of CureVac emailed uh, Fauci, uh, Ingmar uh, um, Hoare, H-O-E-R-R, as in like Bobby Orr, I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that right. And this was March 11th of 2020. Uh, The CEO of CureVac wrote, quote, This is a global challenge. We should learn from each other to act fast and avoid mistakes. I do not accept any barriers from Stefani Bachnell just for competitive reasons. Happy to call or meet Pete personally. Best regards. And he sent this directly to Fauci. Fauci kicked it to Christina Cassetti, and in, in, in his typical fashion, he says, please, please respond. This was, um, like I said, the 11th of March of 2020. And there's a host of other um, you know, things that could be discussed there. I've left links to these particular articles um, in, in this uh, podcast, and you can review them at, at your leisure. Uh, there's there's lots to be discussed, and I'm still working through all this. Um, and when I say working through all this, there's just a, a lot of timeline stuff, and there's also the idea that uh, yeah, there's um, there it is. That's what we're looking for. So this is directly from a Moderna SEC filing, September twelfth, Moderna. A clinical stage by a biotechnology company pioneering mRNA messaging vaccine, blah, blah, blah. Sorry. Um, so the virus was the chinkugina. Uh, chink let me spell it for people who may who can pronounce it because I'm terrible at pronouncing things. I apologize for that, but that it is what it is. C-H-I-K-U-N-G-U-N. YA, and this was a virus that they created. So that they created an mRNA 1944. Um, that this was what they put together. But in this, it says the mRNA 1944 is being developed with financial support from DARPA, 
and that's what they say there directly, and that the company systematic therapeutics modality to start clinical testing and utilizing the same limp, lipid nanoparticle LNP formulation as the company's rare disease program for um, a different uh, a different uh, disease that I can't pronounce right now off the top of my head. I have to hear it. I guess I should put it in Google Translate. So anyways, this was done on uh, just so happened. Now, this is what they announced, but what else were they working on and why were they working on it? That's the, but you notice the lipid nanoparticles, that's the same things that uh, Pfizer uses. And they shared that uh, with uh, CureVac and Acutus and a Canadian company. And we could go into, we could probably even go into the Pfizer part of this which I uh, discussed actually earlier in this particular uh, long post, and then I'll close out. So what I was getting to about uh, Pfizer is that they are, their uh, connections go back to China, in particular Shanghai, and that that's pretty significant if you think about the fact that uh, they were um, supported by a company that... Uh, <clears throat> So Moderna was founded by Langer in the early 2010s with COVID virus crisis vaccine push. Langer's shares in Moderna made him a paper billionaire. Of course it did. Um, they did a, a project in, that was published in December of 2019, right around the same time that Barrick was doing his uh, uh, work with Moderna. Uh, Kevin McHugh and Robert Langer published on, on a, a science translational medicine paper called Biocompatible. Uh, Biocompatible near infrared quantum dots delivered to the skin by microneedle patches record record vaccination. So there's the vaccine um, uh, push to uh, monitor and track your vaccination schedules by having a microneedle patch underneath your skin, and it does exist, and it's not a lie. And there is a paper on it, and I found it, and those two happen to be connected to it. So a Chinese company, Wu, Wuqi Aptec, is a key partner and Series, uh, Series E investor at then privately held Schrodinger, which I mentioned before. And uh, Schrodinger happens to be connected to Dr. Nikolic. So Wuqi is, uh, is closely connected to the People's Liberation Army, Army through a $3.3 billion privatizing investment by uh, Zhang uh, Zhang uh, Alvin Zhichen, uh, uh, founder of Boyu Capital, and he is the grandson of Xi Jinping, the former leader of the Chinese Communist Party. So uh, he's one of those princelings, much like the Biden, uh, like Hunter is the princeling of uh, <laughs> of uh, Joe Biden, if you want to make a comparative nature, you know. But this guy has a lot of money. I'm sure he didn't just stumble upon and he's being financed that way so they entered Wuchi entered into a 2015 merger agreement with Shanghai's uh, Fosun Pharma who later partnered with BioNTech Pfizer on March 16th of 2020 and I have uh, links to the this is their documentations and they work together and it calls for a royalty split 
As it turns out, Pfizer outsourced all their vaccine trial data analysis to Shanghai, China, hiring six data programmers during the phase two, three of the BNT-162 mRNA trial for COVID-19. And um, yeah, I'll link directly to the document there and you can find the information on pages 28 and 30. So there's just a lot of information. I wanted to go back over all this, but what am I... I guess what am I trying to say is um, not only is Hunter Biden and his uh, connections just happens to stumble into this. You know, we know that there is a lot of Chinese uh, interaction here. We know that there is a Department of uh, Defense connection. There's the NIH is... uh, um, actually, Wegerson did a uh, presentation shortly after she was appointed. And she was uh, talking to the, the, the top in muckety mucks of uh, the NIH and the NIAID. And when I mean given a presentation, uh, she was being introduced into the club. And she is, uh, you know, obviously she has her links back to Bill and Melanie Gates, DARPA, and. Um, She's even connected to some of the people uh, surrounding this situation, the top scientists, of course, and they're all on the same page and they're trying to, you know, keep their uh, keep their hustle going. And we just wonder exactly who knew what and when did they know it. And Peter Daszak is probably the key linchpin to all that. And of course, until we pin them down, nothing's probably going to happen. So I'll play. Uh, I go with the closing music again, and uh, hopefully uh, I've um, enlightened you for the day. (laughs) If not, uh, hopefully uh, the next broadcast will be better.
much for listening. God bless the United States of America. And God save the world.